Hi everyone, it's Karine Gavagazov, the founder of Mission Magazine, the first philanthropic interactive media brand. If you don't know it, our tagline is for fashion for beauty for good. And we started the podcast series a while ago with a dear friend of mine, Charlene Spiteri, singer-songwriter of the band Texas. Um, sadly, she wasn't involved in this one. This was kind of the launch one we did in New York City, where we brought two different guys together, two um, different professions, different age brackets. Um, one is uh, in the movie industry, works constantly with A-listers such as Leonardo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese. The other one holds 32 patents, uh, utility patents. He's published his first peer-reviewed journal article in the American Chemical Society. He develops novel technologies to transform or underutilize presently discarded material. Both have one enormous common goal, and that's to solve climate change. And we sat down with them at public hotels down on East Houston Street to a live podcast. So please listen in, because it's really quite fascinating. You'll learn a lot. It's Fisher Stevens, who directed Before the Flood, which if you haven't seen, you absolutely have to on Netflix. It's incredible. It's actually quite an eye-opener on what's happening on our planet. And if you don't believe that climate change exists please spend two hours however long the movie is the documentary to, to watch it because I think your point of view might be shifted and the other is a really cool young guy Ethan Novick who is just equally passionate about stopping climate change and, and reversing the damage that we've all done so far so please have a listen it's very interesting thank you guys take care speak to you soon bye to put some cheeky stuff on our social media pages i kind of wanted to put on instagram you know do you give a shit about climate change you should come and listen to what these guys have to say mm. and i think i said this when i first met you fisher last summer to present mission to you to put it in the magazine it's i think it's such an important important film it's so educational i got so much from it and it is a little bit depressing because you just think you know you've got to humans have to step up to do something well, what's really horrible is that <laughs> Donald Trump has appointed oil and gas lobbyists, the head of the EPA, the head of the in, in, uh, Interior Department, his uh, chief of staff, Mul Mulvaney, is uh, basically funded by oil. I mean, everybody's funded by the oil and gas company mm -hmm. in, in the Trump administration, pretty much uh, has money from them or on the payroll from them. And um, it's so much worse than we expected. Mm -hmm. I mean... Trump, um, Leo met with Trump when he was first elected because Ivanka Trump when, uh, had seen the film. And she um, arranged a meeting with uh, Leo for Trump to, to kind of like say, dude, get, he had a list of cabinet people he wanted. I mean, he was very, Brilliant. It, was, it was positive yes. at the beginning. This is like literally two weeks into him being elected. He wasn't even, you know, he had nobody yet. And li literally, it was like a photo op for Trump, and Leo just said, no, this is not, and, and Trump hadn't watched the film. So we didn't think it was going to be so bad, but once, um, I mean, you know, Scott Pruitt, thank God he's gone, but Andrew Wheeler replaced him in the mm -hmm. EPA, is doing terrible things. Mm -hmm. um, I ran into uh, the president, ex-president Obama, um, at a function since the film, and I said, you know, you said that that it wouldn't be so bad because whoever would be elected would understand. There's a great line. He goes, you know, it has a funny way of punching you in the nose. And I, and I said, you were completely wrong. Mm -mm. And he said, yeah, I had no idea. You know, that he's put literally like 
Batman's villains in, in place of all these positions. And fortunately, there's a strong legal, you know, NRDC and the Sierra yes. Club are fighting a lot yes. of these things. But I wish we could re-release the film right now. I think it's actually more important now than ever. Yes, um, absolutely. But we're doing other things yes. to try to, you Well, know. you have a clip of that in your movie, actually. There's a politician, and we saw it in the trailer, of just saying climate change doesn't exist well, and doesn't off, believe. Well, Inhofe, he's a moron. He's just an idiot. He's a senator from Oklahoma who's basically <laughs> IQ is about 12, um, James Inhofe. Um, Funded by the oil and gas yes. companies, but he yes. truly does not believe. Like he's probably the only one who really doesn't believe in it, because he's just dumb, like yeah. a box yeah. of bricks. But have um, you sent him the video? You should send him a gift. Oh, he's the... he's he knows this movie's out there. Yeah, Susan Collins watched the film and wrote me. John McCain saw the film and wrote me before he died, and and um, they uh, they were like, you know, I, they they voted against Pruitt. Well, Susan Collins did, but. You know, there's just so much we can do, but we got to keep fighting, right? So yes. it's just, yep. it's gotten to a really crazy place. But do you feel, I mean, when Ethan and I were speaking on Monday, I'm kind of not paying attention much no, to this. We'll just free form. Um, we were talking about on Monday saying, um, actually, we reached out, we wanted this, and I think I said to you, Fisher and, and um, Sophia and Eve, who kindly helped pull this all together to see even at public, that I wanted this to be a really educational evening and have all schools. And we reached out to so many schools to come and we got nowhere. We got absolutely yeah. nowhere with, and I don't know it's if it's... late. It's late. I know finals are on, but right. I, I also think it's... School kids, yeah, they're showing this in a lot of schools, yes, which is good. Yes, which is brilliant. Yeah. And we had a conversation about this, Ethan, on Monday, absolutely, saying, yeah. how on earth do you change perception? How do you get someone to kind of help with climate change. And I know that you had an experience by going scuba diving, so you saw it firsthand. So that was your catalyst to kind of want to do something really caring and environmental because you saw it right in front of you. And I think unless someone sees that or experiences, they don't, they don't, they don't care that much to do well, something. Let me say this. I think there's like a lot of people who do care about it now relative to maybe even before the film came out. I think the film had a huge impact on that, uh, really kind of cementing the science behind it, but also you know actionable things you can see you know, happening. Um, I think part of it is a lot of people just don't know what to do, and yes. there's a lot of people who take advantage of people who don't know what to do. I mean, I think part of it is like you know people buying carbon offsets. A lot of times that's a can be a scam, right? I yes. mean, there's a lot of things like that where people feel like they're doing the right thing, but they're not necessarily doing it. And I think part of it is if if people focused more on um, uh, not things like the Green New Deal, mm -hmm. which contains a lot of other things that are not even relevant to climate change, that are you know other policy ideas that, you, whether you agree with them or not, are not necessarily involved mm -hmm. with actually reducing emissions, but instead focusing on really specific things that could get through Congress. Like, uh, I think a really good example is, is a, a US-wide electricity grid. Right now, uh, electricity is done in regional grids across the US, and so solar power in, let's say, California or Nevada cannot be transported to the US, uh, to, to New York, let's say. Um, and if you could do that, you would be able to achieve much higher renewable energy, um, uh, basically a lot more renewable energy in the electricity grid, because there's a certain limitation with that battery storage to how much you can put mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the electricity grid. But if you had the ability to go across the US, I mean, as it's sunny in California, um, and then it's sundown in, in New York, you could start bringing solar power yes. to New York and vice versa. And so um, there's a lot of opportunities like that, which, you know, if the same amount of attention was brought to them, you probably could get them through Congress in some well, capacity. I, I disagree with you. You do? Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you why. Find out. Okay. The Congress, maybe, but the Senate, never right now. 
Because oh, okay. what we have is we have this thing called dark money. We have a thing called Citizens United that was passed in 2010 by the Supreme Court. So there is millions and millions of dollars being funneled into these senators who are going to do everything they can at this point. These 54 Republican senators, not all of them, there's a few, but only a few that are going to do everything they can to keep us on fossil fuels, to keep us addicted mm -hmm. to fossil fuels. Right. Uh, actually, let me just interrupt yeah. because I think that um, what I'm trying to go at with these policy concepts, yep. though, is that ultimately some of these concepts, actually, the fossil fuel lobby might actually like kind of to, mm -hmm. not at the same level, but they won't be as allergic, have an allergic reaction to it right. the way that maybe other things would, because it's hard to say this would hurt the economy because it wouldn't. Um, you know, it's across the board, you're enabling you know, renewable energy to go, or not even renewable energy, it could even be, you know, natural gas or something that is powering this. Not that that's what we're trying to achieve here, but ultimately the end result is higher economic productivity, higher, more jobs, more efficiency, more economic growth. Yeah. And so those messages, it's hard for them to like go against that without looking like they really are getting paid off. Um, and so I think that's like the kind of message I feel like needs to be portrayed, although you probably are right that it's gonna be still very hard to get through, but there, if you can tailor the message a little bit like that, maybe if you got the same level of, of, of political support or, or advocacy that, that other ideas got, I, I at least can envision uh, Well, I agree like, with you yeah. about the Green New Deal yeah. being a little overboard and it went off the green policy, but what it did do, because when I first read it, yeah. I was very upset. I was like, oh, why did they do this? It's way too much. You're dealing with things that have nothing to do with- like Job guarantees and things that are right. like not but, actually- But yeah. the good thing is the conversation has started it and is, you yeah. have like Chuck Absolutely. Schumer, who's never mentioned climate change ever, the minority leader in the Senate saying, mm -hmm. We have to deal with climate change. He's never talked about climate change, Chuck Schumer. Right. So, like, it's working in a way. And I don't want to be cynical, but I become obviously very cynical, mm -hmm. but I'm not cynical enough to stop trying to do the work. Yes. But the Heritage Society, uh, Americans for Prosperity, these are very well-funded machines that are spewing, I mean, today, in mailboxes around, you know, they're spewing... Uh, rhetoric about how climate change is not real in, in places that... Uh, we need them to get on board, you know, and, and I think that part of the conversation of the Green New Deal that's great is they're explaining to the, the rest of the public that this is like their lies and there's money in politics and the money in politics is trying to keep you addicted to fossil fuels. So, but I agree with you, policy is great and there's a, you know, I, and I, I do think business is the key as well. Like, mm -hmm. it's not just up to the politicians. I think the businesses, okay. you know, I, uh, there's a guy named Paul Pullman who runs Unilever. Um, he used to, I think he just stepped down, but he completely transformed the whole way Unilever does business and the way he stopped using palm oil. He stopped, everything was sustainable that he mm -hmm. did at Unilever. And he's been an incredible example of what a big business can do because that, that's, they're the ones that are actually yes. driving it. Yeah. Right. You know? right, actually to that point too, I actually think, I mean, you look at the problem in general, um, unlike most human cause problems or even just humanity's challenges that are at the scale of climate change, um, climate change is something that is quantifiable. You can actually say this is how much CO2 we're emitting, this is where it's coming from. Um, so it's something that is feasible to solve. And that's the neat thing about it. And that's what actually really attracted me to it as like just a general space is that like there is a feasible way of doing it. And it is something that can be solved largely through technological innovation and business if you can make things economically viable. Mm -hmm. You know, develop a lot of the technologies I develop are in just different components of that. But you know, the main focus is really looking at, okay, What's a new approach to right, this that actually right. can achieve that? And then, you know, I develop a technology around it and 
But ultimately, that's that's where I see the largest right. opportunity. But why do we have to rely on you? Like, why can't we? Why can't we like try to slowly? Make, because what if, let's say yeah. your technology only will take so much carbon out of the air. Right, right. And then no, we're really all, right? So why can't we change the way we I'm we in agreement. I, I think it's saying? both. I mean, ultimately, you need it's both. It's got to be both. It's absolutely both. You need to facilitate yes. it. Um, also, ultimately, I, I definitely agree with you on that. There's definitely like a, a component where you do need to facilitate things. Um, but a part of it is that I do think a lot of people think it's all policy, mm -hmm. not technology. Mm -hmm. um, and there are instances where it is definitely technology. Yes. And, and a lot of it, there are things like the cost of a battery is still not there where we want to you know, mass deploy it. Um, and there are certain areas where policy becomes a lot easier or maybe not even necessary if the economy can take over. And, and ultimately, that's what we really need yes. to strive to achieve. But right, I mean, in certain instances, it just becomes you can't do anything anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but... I definitely see there's still an opportunity in CO2-related space if you can you know, focus on technology. Right. And, and, and part of that, too, is I think one of the biggest inefficiencies in the system in clean tech funding, especially on the U.S. government level, but even across the world you see this, maybe even with an exception of China, because they do have some focus on this level, but there's a lot of focus on taking technologies that are you know, already built, have been known for a while, and then you know, adjusting them slightly for climate. Um, for some you know, CO2 negative purpose or let's say a battery or something like that. And the issue with that is it's great in, from the perspective that maybe it's deployable now, um, but the issue is a lot of that funding goes away from the earlier stage stuff that could really save us if we can make that happen in five years instead of 10 years or you know, five years instead yes. of 15 years or never. You know? And so there's a lot of innovation that I have seen that gets swept under the rug because th there's all this attention up here right. by... To, to companies that aren't really doing anything different and maybe even will happen anyway, mm -hmm. um, but definitely won't solve climate change right. in any, any sort of way. But there is a solve, right? And if you haven't seen the film, there's an economist from Harvard named uh, Gregory Mankiw, who is a Republican, uh, worked for the Bush, admitted Bush one, um, and I believe maybe even Bush two. Um, as an economist, he said, yes, you know how to fix climate change is you have a carbon tax. Bill Clinton tried to implement a carbon tax. Obama had a thing called cap and trade. The Republicans, the Koch brothers, the, these, these organizations just jump on it. Now you can actually, having a carbon tax is gonna make mm -hmm. things expensive. I mean, we saw the response in, in France with the Jean, yes. Gilets Jaunes, but, but we have to kind of, we, there, that's the quickest way to change the way we, mm -hmm. the way we function, the economics, the way our behavior is. There's a hotel in Paris that your, your room rate is charged by how many towels you use, how much uh, shampoo you use, the amount of water you use, and, and mm -hmm. the amount of electricity you use, and that's your bill. Your bill is calculated by a carbon footprint, and it really makes you go, wow, mm. and it wakes you up. Imagine if we started living like that, all of us, which a carbon tax would obviously make, yes. I mean, having a congestion tax in the city is gonna obviously change the way things are here, like it's done in London. So, but because politics tax is such a dirty word, I think Mankiw is amazing and he's right. He's like, and he's a Republican and he's saying, yeah, because then we'll get taxed for certain things and the money will go into infrastructure, the money will go into other things. And, and we will be very cognizant of how much oil and gas and fossil fuels we're using, so. I actually just want to rewind a little bit because you might all be sitting there thinking, who's this gentleman? <laughs> I didn't think I properly introduced you, Ethan, oh, but yeah, okay. um, he's, he's a 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> he's just finished his finals this morning. No. Yeah, okay. um, he's a 20 year old student at Yale, sort, on gap, of, sort of, on gap year. Yeah, okay. um, but can you just explain briefly 
Um, you've got, how many patents have you got? 32? So I have 32 patents, um, uh, five issued patents, um, but then ultimately, and will you explain more what along patent the way, means to the audience in case they don't understand? Yeah, um, yeah so a patent is, um, uh, well, it's a form of intellectual property. It is, um, in my specific instance, there's design patents and there's utility patents. I own utility patents. Ultimately, it means you've developed something uh, new as it relates to a physical technology, meaning it, you can't be like a widget or mm -hmm. something. It has to mm -hmm. be something like an actually new approach to how you do something, an actually new um, chemical, a new, and in my case, it's a, it's a new, I have two multiple patents. Some of them are devices that are really new and, and totally new approaches to how you, let's say, separate CO2. Right. Um, and then other cases, um, I have composition patent, a patent for a composition of multiple compositions, kind of a series of them for, uh, for how you, for both CO2 capture, but also in refrigeration. Right. So to make a liquid phase only refrigeration cycle. So basically the, the point is of a patent is it allows you to work within a certain domain, it allows you to own a little box, a box out of you know the universe or create your own box ultimately if it's fundamentally new. Um, and then why it's really important is it, one, identifies that what you're doing is different. Mm -hmm. Um, but secondly, it also allows you to do that thing that you want to do because it gives you the ability to operate there. It also allows you to know, bring people in or out, you know, companies right, or whatever. Right. You have control over the destiny of that technology. So. And what, what age did you kind of start to kind of gravitate towards being interested in the environment and the climate? And, and I, I think I've always been, but I'd say right. what really gravitated to me um, was actually kind of similar in a sense. I, I, I was... I was very interested in, uh, I've always been, we're kind of boating family, we love sailing, like small boats especially, like you know, sunfish, that kind of thing. Um, so I've always found it really eye-opening when I learned about coral reefs and, um, but, but one thing that really caught my attention was uh, I've always been interested in tidal power and that was something that really got me interested in the environment. Um, was just the fact that, you know, tides rise and fall, the water rises and falls due to the moon. And um, I always found that just so eye-opening and, and I, a lot of my early inventions, actually my first issued utility patent, was a technology for uh, generating electricity from the tides. Um, it was different because it was under completely underground right. and used water seepage instead of How old were you ocean. when you I came up that. with the idea when I was 14, um, but then uh, I got my issued patent when I was 15, <laughs> so yes, thank you. I'm about three times your age and I've just had my vocation <laughs> to do mission. mission. That's amazing, wow. Congratulations. And Thanks. we're going to wrap up in a few minutes for a Q&A, but Fisher, can we, are we allowed to ask what you're up to next? Like, is there anything environmental that yeah. you want to um, well, Leo working and I, on? Yeah, Leo and I just made it. He's not in it very much. He's in it for like five minutes, but we just made a film on electric car racing, Formula E, um, which is a se series that actually they race in Brooklyn. It's not that popular in the States. Um, there are no American drivers, um, but it's becoming kind of, it's going to start competing with Formula One, but it's electric race cars in the cities. So in Paris, in Brooklyn, in Red Hook, in Rome, um, in Morocco, it's uh, it's around the world in Hong Kong, and we're uh, we're going to premiere in Cannes this year. So very exciting. Fantastic. And then um, just speaking about uh, this is not a movie we have gotten full rights to, but I um, I've been obsessed with uh, Extinction Rebellion in London. I don't know if you guys have been reading about this. Mm -hmm. Extinction Rebellion, um, today was an incredible day. Uh, the UK Parliament came out and acknowledged climate change as a, as a secure, security risk, as a national mm -hmm. disaster, mm -hmm. and that they are actually going to take new action and initiative to climate change in the Parliament. And that was partially because of Extinction Rebellion crazy gluing themselves at the Marble Arch. And so um, I'm 
I've been in talks with them and I've sent crews down to film. They don't want us to fly. We, we made an agreement because of carbon footprint, which mm -hmm. I love because before the flood was offset with carbon footprint, uh, our, our carbon footprint was offset, but they are like, we don't want anybody to fly to work with us. So I sent a team in there. They're amazing. Um, and I think they are going to move the needle. And there are 60 countries now that are going to um, participate in Extinction Rebellion. So if anybody's interested in the United States, I say, you know, look up Extinction Rebellion. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that's what it's going to yes. take. So yep. I've been filming with them a little bit. And... Um, yeah, and just just started that. And, Fantastic. Uh, I look forward to seeing that. But honestly, please, you've got to see Before the Flood. I can't. Oh, thanks. I, it's, I'm it's not depressing. saying that because you're sitting next to me, but I have seen it about four times. It's it's jaw-dropping. It really is jaw-dropping. And it, it moves really fast. There's so much information and knowledge to just absorb from it. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's, and then there's a film I produced that just was on Discovery that's kind of interesting. It's in Russian and in Hindi and in English. Um, about tigers. It's called Tiger Land, and it follows uh, a, f a family in India that's been protecting tigers, uh, created the national parks for the tigers, and it follows this insane Russian guy named Pavel in Siberia that's been saving tigers for 30 years. Um, it's called Tiger Land. It's quite beautiful, and it's uh, there are more tigers in Oklahoma, Florida, South Carolina, Texas, Las uh, Nevada, and um, one more state than there are in the wild in the world. Gosh. In the United States. So. And Before the Flood's on Netflix, by the way, if you're thinking where you can watch it, it's on Netflix. Yeah. But um, okay, so we're going to open up to a Q&A because we've got to wrap this all up very soon. Does, it, does anybody have a question? Oh, that lady over there. Bernadette's going to come over with a microphone. I'm going to get him to invest in my next movie because he's going to be very wealthy, I have a feeling. <laughs> So I'm, a, I'm actually a founding uh, investor in Coral Vita, which you probably know from Yale. They're yeah, coral farming in the yes, Grand, Grand yes. Bahama. Um, and so, the, you know, the, the, one of the problems of doing these climate things is the amount of capital that it takes to actually scale. And you were talking earlier about not people, you know, not investing in in the founding technologies as much as they should, but but equally there is a problem with with investing in the, the in the, the size the scale that's needed to actually you know drive down the cost of doing any of these things. So what's what's your experience been of of getting that scale of funding? Great question. Uh, the because all so these things are possible yeah, with enough money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, I agree with you. There's there's possible and there's also should we do some of them some of them are like i consider it depends on like i like corals i think that's a great concept i like what he's doing um there's some some of them that are like they want to make follow may want to make you think that's what you should be doing but reality is if they were implemented they would have other issues for the environment um but i agree with you though there's definitely a challenge you know in doing that in my case um what i discovered is uh, one of the benefits of my CO2 capture technology is it's not just a CO2 capture technology. There are individual, like I mentioned, the refrigeration cycle. It's, it's about three novel technologies in one that make the CO2 capture technology. And initially, I was going full force on CO2 capture alone. Um, and then I recognized, you know, the scale required for CO2 capture. I already, you know, did a few different scale-ups. I was at, you know, and so, so basically, the scale required requires a lot of funding to go from, you know, it's about three additional scale-ups for me to get to the point of, of you know, 100,000 tons per a, a year, which is what you need for uh, a CO2 capture system to be at the scale we need. 
And uh, I, I recognize that I actually need to do two pathways. One where the CO2 capture technology is on a pathway where it's working with a very large resource, you know, resource heavy company in the JDA. So I've talked to a lot of different companies with those kind of resources. Some of them are oil and gas companies that um, do have interest in it, but some of them are also companies in, you know, in the engineering space. Um, and then on the end of this refrigeration cycle, which is really the other component of the CO2 capture technology, the scale required to make that a commercial product, I'm already at that scale. And so there's not really any, it's just a matter of you know, turning it into that commercial product. So that's more of like a, a good technology from the perspective of both a kind of a venture back and also um, you know, commercial deployment regardless of a carbon tax, because you know, it's got a lot of benefits irrespective of climate change, but then obviously it is hugely beneficial for climate change. There's no refrigerants, so no greenhouse gas refrigerants. And then also it uh, uses a lot less energy uh, than a normal refrigeration cycle. So that's like, I, I'd say you go into both ways. I mean, you can say if for the things that require the scale, I fully agree with you. And there's also a component of it that I think before we invest at that scale, make sure the technology that we are committing to, to invest, you know, the billions of dollars in, is genuinely close to the best we can do, you know, from a theoretical physics perspective. Um, a lot of times there's this proponent to like just scale up something because it exists. And, uh, and oftentimes it becomes like a big failure from a cost perspective and also it ruins the rest of the people who have developed better solutions you know, to get out there. I'd say a really good example of that is uh, Kemper. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this. This was a, a southern company. Uh, it was just a giant utility in the United States, utility, um, electric power utility, invested about $8 billion. It was supposed to only be $500 million, but it ended up being $8 billion building a pre-combustion CO2 capture system. And that, what that means is they... Uh, do something called gasification with coal before they they uh, and separate out the CO2 before they burn the rest of the stuff, which is hydrogen. So the idea is you get rid of the CO2 before um, it gets burned. And it ended up being that the technology was flawed from the beginning. That a politician was backing the whole thing. That was getting paid. it was just a big mess. So um, and then now it's just a burning natural gas power plant. So like obviously that didn't work out. And it also I mean it blew through eight billion dollars of southern companies' yeah. budget, which could have been spent on so many other things early on, you know? So I think there's two elements to that. One is I think we should be getting the resources to scale up these technologies, whether it's earlier stage technologies that have that potential um, or, you know, current technologies. But also most important to me is that we have a rationale for how we dictate whether a technology is ready to get that massive funding so that people will put that massive funding to, for it because they actually think it will happen, right. you know, it will actually have that impact. And that rationale, I think, needs to be standardized, and it doesn't really exist right now. And I hope that we can make that happen. Any other questions? Alex, over. Sorry, Alex, one sec. Bernadette. Thank you, Bernadette. <laughs> So as a follow-up to what you were just saying, from a realistic timetable kind of space, knowing that we live in a capitalist world, it's a capitalist country, and that tremendous amounts of monies are needed in order to fund these projects, when is the technology going to catch up to the market? Because are we really fucked in the sense that if it takes 10 years for a, one of your ideas to be so feasible that this lady can then probably invest in it in large scales enough to make it feasible. When are when are we going to catch up? You know. Good question. The uh, the point there, and so the idea is okay. If my technologies take longer to get out there, 
Um, I think the first thing is that uh, the 10 years is off, actually, on, on the time scale. Um, I look at the refrigeration cycle, just being the first one that addresses about 7.5 billion tons of CO2, if you look at the full potential there. The technology is only a year or two, actually less. I mean, if you look at for the early applications in battery cooling and, um, and applications in, uh, in liquid cooling data centers, um, it's ready now for that application, and I'm talking with companies in that space now for that. So I wouldn't say, you know, 10 years is not a totally accurate um, look at that. CO2 capture, we're probably three years off of from having a modular but, but, unit. But that's but, on small but, scale, right? No, so that's a really good question. Yeah, the, the, the scale is an interesting point. So there's scale per an individual unit, which is the most important thing when we're talking about time scales, and then there's scale on mass deployment, right? So mass deployment meaning multiple units. And scale from an individual unit thing is the most important thing to use for a time scale. For a refrigeration cycle, my refrigeration cycle, and also refrigeration cycles in general, just looking at you know what that is. I mean, you have an air conditioner at your home, right? I mean, that's not that big. And so it's actually feasible to build that with not much resources, um, not much capital. You don't have to depend on a lot of other uh, variables like different big companies agreeing to you, politics, you know, environmental regulation, approvals, things like that. Um, to get a small unit done, uh, or just regulations in general, right? But when you get to really large-scale things, there's a lot of bureaucracy you have to deal with and a lot of funding you have to deal with, and that's something that I will have to deal with in CO2 capture because the scale is 100,000 tons per year plus, right? And so we're talking, you know, capital investments, but also, um, you know, regulatory things you have to deal with, just putting something on a site next to a cement plant. That is where the time scales come in, is, you know, that's significant resources per unit. Um, so... So do you think uh, the 10-year is off or it's going to be longer? Oh, much lower than 10 years. Ten year. right. Well, for refrigeration cycle, it's, so it's I already now. And then well, no, but this is just yeah. one tiny. Yeah. This is my technologies right, in particular. Technology. I'm not talking right. about technologies yeah, yeah, in general. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. do think across the board there are, um, I think a good way of looking at this is, um, yeah, and, and how you can I do guess, policy. I guess my yeah. question was, was less related to, to your technology. Got you. In general. You in general, okay. I mean, we're, we're at a point where uh, people, people are nervous about what, where we're heading. And right. because we live in a capitalist system, rightfully so, in my right. opinion, you know, at what point does the market catch up to the innovation? Right, it depends on the technology, right. That's a really good point. And actually, I like that we live in a capitalist society because we can afford to do things that once they do make economic sense, they generally can happen, right? If you have the- Well, let's, right, yeah, yeah, if it's not yeah. runaway capitalism, which is what we're experiencing mm, right, right now, so mm. that all the regulations that are, we have regulations about how much pollutants can go in the air and those are all gone right now in this capitalist runaway society that we live in in the United States today. And I think in a lot of parts of the world. I'll just say that there's a scene in the film with Piers Sellers, who is the chief uh, NASA, he was an astronaut, and he takes Leo through his predictions of how the climate will change. This, we, yes. were, we shot Is this. Is that what he's on the map? And he's yeah, showing, we yes. shot that mid-2016. Mm -hmm. The predictions are way worse. Wow. These, all these, all, the, the way that the, the, you know, hurricane, the hurricanes and typhoons that are occurring are not from climate change. What's from climate change is the warming of the water that's making them much bigger and the scale and the scales are so much worse. So I think that there's a lot, uh, uh, you know, one good piece of news is like Beyond Meat, these fake, mm -hmm. so these, the food that we eat, because 12 to 14% of our global warming is from the, uh, the agriculture and, 
and what we're eating. So the more that these companies of like Beyond Meat and you know, that's one good way, and that's technology, and that's kind of helping us along. But I think my, the reason I get so freaked out is I have three-year-old and five-year-old, and I'm just watching it get is much worse than peers had predicted back in 2016 because we're at 2019, and that was three years ago, and it's like, you know, uh, he passed away, but oh. had he been alive, he would be like, holy shit. This and is he's worse the chap that says it. it's reversible, isn't he, in the yeah. movie? Right. I remember that scene particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, I think it, it depends on the technology. It's reversible right? if yeah. we all wake up. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. Not no, just a, technology, right. both. Yeah. No, absolutely, right. And, and I think when you say technology, and you, you can do this, I like, I like looking at things that have like a Moore's Law-like component to them. Like, you know, it made sense to subsidize solar panels when we did in some ways, because, or even electric cars, because you could see a clear pathway to where scale, like you, I think you mentioned earlier, how scale reduces cost. You know, if you mass produce and mass scale, we can, you know, the in incremental cost of all the actual materials in the system are very low relative to the cost of what's being produced right now, and we can get it closer to the material cost. You know, that's where I see that working really well, where you can implement policy to drive um, cost reduction so the capitalist, capitalism can take over at a certain point, in which case you can remove the policy driver at some point without having an effect on the system. Right now, I, we're, we're maybe even approaching that in some elements um, with, with certain you know, renewable energy technologies and that kind of thing. Um, where I don't see that happening is when the technology platform that is being driven, and I see this in CO2 Capture today with the stuff that's at large scale, doesn't have that Moore's Law component to it. Meaning, if we made that technology at its utmost optimization, meaning we took that technology and we optimized it to the nth degree. We looked at the physics of it and said, what is the minimum energy we could do to make that happen? Um, would that be at the cost basis where it could, you know, remove that policy lever? Or, you know, if, if another Donald Trump comes in the office or even with Donald Trump, right? We want to make then sure. Then we're fucked. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. Yeah. We don't want that yeah. policy well, lever to be destroyed and all this infrastructure sitting out there and just sitting there and not achieving anything. So that's where I think it's really important to invest a little earlier stage at technologies that have the promise from a physics perspective to be able to achieve those objectives, mm -hmm. to be able to be economical, independent of a policy driver. I think people are easier to stomach a policy driver if it can be removed at some point in the future when that technology is ready. Um, but if, they don't, if that platform, meaning the basic technology that we're talking about, the approach that we're talking about, is under its current circumstances not able to achieve that, that's where you invest in R&D. Mm -hmm. I don't see you just mass deploying things that will never be able to be independent given that approach. Yeah. You know, you want to focus on the approach until the approach is ready mm -hmm. to be, you know, uh, something that has the physics to be able to be deployed right. at large scale and cost reduced by scale and all those kind of things to the point where you can actually make capitalism take over. Um, I, I just want to last say, if we rely on technology to save us, I think we're we're really Only screwed. technology, right. Yeah, yeah. I okay. think we're really in a lot of trouble. So We've got to wrap it up soon, but we've got time for one it's quick It's great what you're question. doing. I'm not taking away from what you're doing, but I just like... Yeah, it's got to be other. Humans we, well, have we to gotta make Well, we've got to get radical because it's, yeah. it's like, it's ticking. But it's realistic and it's, it's ticking, ticking quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Just from you saying about that scale, because I remember that scene specifically yeah. in your... Because I paid attention when he said it's reversible. But now if it's worse than you're saying, then that's really frightening. Um, can we have one more question? Hi. Hello, um, I, you know, I'm, I try to do a lot of community and local activation. And as an individual, it's just so overwhelming, obviously, to hear 
um, the technology side of things. And so as an individual that you want to invest or you want to make a difference beyond your community and beyond your lifestyle, I think, um, you know, what is hidden is you, for example. Like, the, you know, if the world doesn't have access to people and knowledge and education that you're bringing forth. So, you know, you would almost have to make a film on, tech, on the technologies that are going to be working because how is the world really gonna shift if people don't even know where to invest properly? And so I think, you know, it can get really overwhelming for people that, there's so many people that wanna help. There's so many people that, uh, want to join forces and activate and get those investors on board. But if we don't have the education and the knowledge, it's like it's a train that's never going to start. So how, how do we move forward together as a community and, and get the knowledge? Fisher, what would you, I mean, can I? I think it's great, but I think community is the start. I think yes. that's the crucial key is to get your community involved and, and, and activated and motivated um, to understand that this is a big problem. Um, I honestly, we set out to make a film after Before the Flood about solutions, and we, we researched for four or five months, and we found like three people, and it wasn't an interesting movie. And it's very, I mean, we need more people like this for sure, and more solutions like this. I mean, Elon Musk is pushing, pushing, mm -hmm. pushing solar, and he's doing an incredible job, and you know, I, I have to say, making a film about electric cars gave me great hope because Audi, Porsche, Jaguar, Mercedes, they're all part of this formula, this series. And, they're, and, and you know, Volvo doesn't even make a combustion, a combustible engine car anymore. You know, so things are moving in a very good direction. There, is good, there are good lights. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we got to get a lot of bright 20-year-old people yeah. like mm -hmm. this to, mm -hmm. to try to change the we world need, in a yeah. positive way. Yeah. But I still feel like everybody's got to do their own thing, their own part Absolutely. and wake Actually, up. Yeah, so. I think on that point, I think a lot of, there's definitely a whole bunch of people who want to do something. They don't know what, what they can do as an individual that could have the most impact. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of that ends up going into things that are being Utilized by politicians, I think the Green New Deal is an example, which ultimately, I agree with you, it did have a, an effect where it got the conversation going. P people started actually saying, we do need something like this. Um, but it was definitely, I, in my view, something that was more a political gain than, or a, for political enrichment rather than for you know, actually genuinely helping the environment directly. Um, one thing, if you want to go on a policy end, is definitely um, focusing on specific, I think I mentioned, talk a little about this, but definitely focusing on specific things, very specific things that can actually help the climate um, that are something that, I know we talked about like feasibly get through, but you know, things that are actually beneficial economically and also like, you know, will help the environment. Um, and you can do this on a community level, but also on a national level. Like I mentioned the US wide electricity grid is a good example of something that could be pushed for at a local level at your representative or whatever. Um, and and that would be really interesting if we can get that to happen. Like certain things, like if you go specific, it can happen. If you go broad, then people throw things in there that are irrelevant. They play games with it. They manipulate the words so that it means something that they that it doesn't. And then people associate it. And then suddenly there's a big backlash. We don't want that. We want it to, you know, can you really disagree with that specific policy? Is me a lot less people that would disagree with that very specific thing than you know the bigger, broader thing. Mm -hmm. And so it would be really interesting if we can focus on specific things, even on a local level. 
rather than you know the big broad thing. Because yeah. I, I think a lot of times on a local level there are huge opportunities, whether it's even like a wastewater treatment plant that needs to be redone. I mean, there are things that can be done that will, if every local community focused in on it, could have a huge yes. impact across the board. Especially and we're not talking anything well, crazy. I, you know? Again, I, I love his optimism, but the, the biggest problem is dark money. It's really what's killing us, right? I mean, this we could trace it to the Supreme Court. And, and I think what we have to do is we all have to try to get the word out that the oil and gas and these industries are fighting for their lives and they're gonna do whatever they can to keep all their assets to make sure they come out of the ground because they've invested so much money. So I think we have to, I'd love everybody to just spread that word and spread mm -hmm. that message and they don't, you know, and that to me is like, if we can stop that flow, we could, we could address this and, and your grid will get passed and, and um, you know, I, I don't know, I'm just very upset and angry about the fact that this country is so kind of lax and lazadaisical mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. that you know you can trace it all the way to everything to the fact that you know we're going to ask a you know even the citizenship question on the on the cons on our census will affect the climate because that's going to keep climate deniers give more representation and I, I'm sorry to go so deep and crazy about this, but like really, I, I just think people need to be informed, right? And, and no, I more agree. And I think they need to have the shock. Facts. Climate is affected in every way, in every aspect, you know. And that's why I'm so nervous mm -hmm. because there's this. Well, it's this, coming. It, well, it's coming, and the yeah. administration has a real stranglehold mm -hmm. on. Uh, they, they they're brilliant. So, but that is, I mean, a good point. There is why local level does matter. I mean, to a point, is that how? I mean, a lot of these policy things that, you know, you're talking about the, the higher scale, that's more on a national level. A lot of things can be done at a local level that do, that everyone, let's say a lot of people follow through in certain, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I could probably write a list of all the different kind of examples of, of things at a local level that can be done. I'm saying local, like at a city municipal level, not maybe like your house in particular, but like there are things that can be done in a regional or local mm -hmm. level that are beneficial to the economy, beneficial to the environment in other ways than just climate, and then also really good for the climate that in theory can get passed easier at a local level than maybe at a national level because of the, 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 the kind of influence you're talking about. I think part of it too is there's also a lot of money in these oil and gas companies, right? So you could say it's evil money, but you also could say how can we leverage that in some way that where that money can be deployed in some way that's even Have you hung out with these guys? I know them very I well. Yeah, I know. No, I've, I've hung out yeah. with them, man. I've, I've, spent I've seen a lot their of time. real interest and I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. I actually went to an event in, in France where there's all they're all oil and gas companies. Yeah. And no, it's, Total it's, is actually the one oil and gas company that's actually doing great things. Yeah, well, the, so the thing is but, there's a lot of European they, oil and gas companies yeah. that want to show that they're now no, no, energy No, Total companies. is actually doing a yeah, lot. Yeah, they're doing some. So I think part of it too is that there's a, if you can push, this is not something on a local level necessary, but but um, I hate to see resources that can be deployed for a problem not being deployed for a problem. And so if we completely alienate the oil and gas industry I agree. to the point, no, I, I mean, then we're not, we're, we're but, just but shooting ourselves. Say, look at um, the BP commercials, how they're yeah. carbon oh, capturing. So this look is the issue, exactly. So the greenwashing is what people need to recognize. I'm just going to give you guys, yeah. we're going to wrap up in two minutes. <laughs> totally so agree keep with going, you. but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll I've, go now. Man, I basically... Got down on my knees and begged these executives. I agree with I you. I mean, yeah, honestly, yeah. I, I've, sh I've screened this yeah. for oil companies. Mm -hmm. And they don't, half of them just will not acknowledge that carbon, climate change is an issue. Even if they refuse. Why? It's their bottom line. Well, the yeah. new, the new say, thing now, I would just say this, is they, they want to switch from, uh, they hate coal now. So that's a new thing. All the oil and gas companies hate coal. 
Um, and especially in the U.S., they hate coal. They're not part of the coal lobby. They want natural gas to take over. Natural gas is the new fuel in their view. Uh, that's why they're doing a lot of fracking and all methane. that. Um, yeah, I mean, methane emissions are awful. Um, but their viewpoint is that, you know, if you burn natural gas for every unit of natural gas you burn, there's a little less CO2, or not a little. I mean, there's a lot less CO2 per than coal. Um, so what, what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that that's a transition fuel, and they want to make it seem like, um, we have natural gas peaker plants, which are going to ultimately fill the void when the solar isn't producing or the wind isn't producing. And there's some truth to that at this point. I mean, some, in some respects. Um, definitely a, a backlash to greenwashing, though, would be very beneficial. And I, I think the issue with that statement is that a lot of it's hard for someone to differentiate what is greenwashing and what mm -hmm. isn't. And I would love to see, I've been trying to find something that's like this, but there isn't an organization, because there's so all these big organizations that exist are littered with what I would call dirty money. I mean, there's someone who has to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And that's someone, whether they have a political or they have a, um, an economic or whatever their incentive structure is, is going to push in a way where it's, it is biased right now. And, and um, I was looking at, I would love to see like a worldwide authority on what is greenwashing and what's not something that like, I know there's like charity navigator for charities, yes. like there's stuff like that for that, but there isn't one for greenwashing. And I remember searching it up and finding some one company that claimed they were this, and then it was like a paper company that they wanted everyone to know that paper wasn't bad for the environment, which it definitely is yes. from an energy perspective. I was just talking to a, a company that wants to reduce its emissions um, with my seed to capture technology in the printer industry, and they were telling me how every sheet of paper is 17 watt hours of energy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just, I'm talking around. Anyway, 17 watt hours of energy per sheet of paper. So when they said their life cycle CO2 emissions, which were large, 80% of it was just from the paper that their consumers, their printer users were using. So the fact that there was a green anti-greenwashing campaign that was saying that paper is good for the environment, don't do these anti-paper campaigns. Like, even if you claimed it, it wasn't hurting trees, it was hurting energy, from an energy perspective, it was bad for the environment. So. Um, that would be really neat. If someone could yes. advocate for an authority on greenwashing, that would be really helpful. We are I would love to help time. out with that if anyone wants We are out of time, yeah. everybody. Thank you guys for I coming. I want to say thank uh, you so much. I hope I didn't depress that you. That was brilliant. No, I think we need to do another round of There's this. There's a lot of good going on. Yeah. Exactly. Please watch the movie. If you give a shit about the environment, you've got to watch Before the Flood. Check out it's, Extinction Rebellion. They're doing yeah, good things in the UK. And I just want to yeah. say a thank you to Eve and Sophia for... Yeah, thank, thank you, you so, so much thank for hosting you. us here. And I want to give one more shout out. It's a bit of a personal one, but it's my dad's birthday tomorrow, who's sitting over there from England, who's 83 tomorrow. Happy so. birthday. It's my dad's birthday tomorrow, no too. Way. He's no 84. Way. Yeah, right. 83 tomorrow. All right, all right. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank, Thank you, Karina. You. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that and, and got as much out of that as I did. Um, that was our first live one we've done. We're looking to do more of these, actually, because I think they're more engaging and it'd be great to have our listeners come along to events. Next up, we'll be speaking to SuperVet Noel Fitzpatrick. So please make sure you tune in. And if you like what you hear, leave us a comment or a rating below so that we can spread this incredible work and um, hopefully have topics that you guys like about. So thank you so much for listening and we'll speak to you next time. Okay, take care. Bye-bye for now.